Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hi, welcome to another episode. I hope you're doing fantastic. I am battling, I think it's fatigue, not sleep, because it's like my mind is doing that whole overthinking thing. And so what that means is that even though I have slept, I'm waking up exhausted. Oh my word. So hopefully today I'll take it easy and tomorrow I should be back to normal, I hope. But even other than that, I had a great weekend. It was my best friend Val's birthday on Saturday. So we went out to a club that I've never been to, though everybody in Nairobi has been talking about it. Milan, it was pretty good. It was a nice decent night. I felt like we had partied really hard. Like when I got home, I was just like, hey, I have reclaimed my youth. (laughs) I need to look at my Uber receipts, you know, the email. And we got home at like 3 (laughs) a.m. But it was still a really good night. Even though we're just like, yes, we're going to do it until the morning. And then, yeah, life. We're not as youthful (laughs) as we used to be. Towards the end of last week, I was just having quite a few meetings, getting to know people who I believe I could possibly work with in future or could help my initiative and my projects. In fact, let me just put it out there. I really want to streamline one program in my initiative. For those of you who don't know, I have the Adelonyango Initiative and it's squarely focused on youth and women. And for youth, it's to either prepare you for entrepreneurship or for employment. So we have a job shadow program where young people can shadow professionals. We also are in the process of rolling out certain workshops where young people can come through, do personality tests, get to figure out what exactly they want to do in life. And after that, then have another workshop for those who are gearing towards entrepreneurship with really the hard facts, how do you get funding, stuff like that. And then have another one for people who want to go into employment and just have like mock interviews, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But the women one, as you know, I am a survivor of rape and one of the things I thank my mother, my late mom, for making sure I did is get into therapy because that really, really helps me a lot. Yeah, you guys hear me like raving on about therapy. It's all because of her getting me in it. So what has been happening is that I had two friends who are therapists volunteer to give um, survivors of rape free therapy. But now I want to partner with an actual clinic and just streamline that program so we can serve a few more people and have a model that actually works. So yeah, I'm putting that out there because that's the one that's really possibly making me a bit stressed. <laughs> if you're listening and you have ideas around it or you know somebody, please just hit me up because it's really causing me a lot of stress. Anyway, um, in the background, you will hear the noise of somebody sweeping, I think. We have a new caretaker in our apartment block. He started on Saturday, so he's pretty enthusiastic. He's been sweeping from like 6 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, three hours later. <laughs> what are you still sweeping? Anyway, if you remember the first time, that if you're employed, the first time you got to your job and how much effort... <laughs> put in on those first first few weeks <laughs> compared with now and all you do is just show up and that's good enough but seriously i think he's in that beginning stage so yeah i apologize for his noise that you will hear anyway 
so I started off by telling you guys, like, my mind is on overdrive. I am trying very hard to calm it down, to silence it, just so that Aki, I can even just get some sleep. <laughs> like, yesterday was really, really hard to finally get some sleep because my mind was just thinking. And so what happens with me, and I don't know if it happens to you as well, is I get very worried when I'm not doing stuff. So yes, I'm in the process of putting together my plan for the, well, not putting together my plan. I already have that, but actualizing my plan for the rest of the year, for the rest of my life, because, you know, now I'm doing my own thing. Sometimes that space of preparation requires you to do a lot of research. It requires you to do brainstorms or meetings and stuff like that but what i've realized about me is when i feel like there's no like i'm not doing stuff it's very toxic but i interpret that as i'm not progressing it's so weird which if i compare to when i was working at kiss my former employer there was movement i was going to work every single morning but i was not necessarily progressing it was just movement like every morning these a facade of activity right because i didn't like my job and i was over that space so even though i was there physically i was not there mentally so there was no progress in that space but it tricks your mind i don't know it's it's a strange thing my mind does where when i'm not doing things that are active <laughs> that actually require you getting up and doing stuff and not just like laying out your strategy or you know what I mean? My head interprets that to be lack of progress, which is false because movement is not necessarily progress. So I'm trying to like deconstruct that in my head <laughs> while at the same time focus on ways legally clueless going to. And I have such a brilliant plan for us. My God, this is going to be like one of the best spaces ever <laughs> if everything goes according to plan i have the next perspective episode we're shooting that on the 3rd of september yes you're all invited and as we get closer i'll give you more details so the stuff i'm doing but it, i don't know it's just a weird thing my mind does so i'm trying to like calm it down i'm spending a lot of time on my app headspace my anxiety isn't that bad it's just the overthinking like if i could just turn my mind off for like two seconds anyway <laughs> away from my overthinking actually still on my overthinking is that a way i have been thinking about my mom a lot and for those of you who are new to the podcast or to me um seven years ago my mom passed away my best friends my everything and she had battled breast cancer for over a decade first got diagnosed in 1999 yeah so it was a long battle it was a long battle but the reason i've been thinking about her is because last week was my two-year anniversary with my husband and so you know you have all your family sending you all of these fun messages they're sending you throwback pictures of the wedding and it's all fun and uh, then you have aunties <laughs> Our one-year anniversary, I got, like, nice messages, nothing crazy. It was cool. This second-year anniversary, I got so many chats from various aunties that were like, oh, yeah, congratulations. Then all of a sudden, they're like, and when are the babies coming? You've made us wait for so long. It's a thing that happens. Unfairly so, I think, because that's a really big life decision. You really have to be ready in all facets before you do that. Like... 
one thing that people always think about when it comes to having kids people think about okay are we ready financially but i feel like that's okay what is more important for me is just like are you ready mentally and i'm really not um because i keep thinking about like my late mom so she was the best mom for a greater part of my life she was a single mom because she divorced my dad i can't remember the year maybe 2000 yeah so most of my memories are after that i don't know maybe it's a trauma thing where you just blank out a couple a phase in your life their marriage was not the healthiest but that's not my story to tell most of the time and even while she was in that relationship to be quite frank she was holding us down so it was like she was the only force there right even afterwards while she was battling breast cancer this woman would like sacrifice things just for us you know she had lost her job but never once did we not have school fees never once did we not have food in the house and more than that never once did she come home angry or like she was always just smiling and so graceful and so calm like i think about what she was dealing with and having three kids on top of everything and i'm just like hey if it was me (laughs) i would have been such a sob like i would be constantly crying and just angry but my mom was just always so calm she had this calm spirit she was smiling all the time she was there for us a hundred percent like if i needed somebody to talk to it didn't matter if she was getting chemo that day or whatever like she would make it happen so it's just when i think about the sacrifices that she gave for us when i think about even just how she raised us um and she came under a lot of scrutiny around that because she didn't okay yes we did get beaten I personally, looks <laughs> I used to just try some dumb stuff, so I got bitten a lot. But she believed in conversation as well, which was not the norm back in the day. Like that wasn't the parenting style. Like so, she would want to sit down and talk about what you've done wrong. You would get beaten, yes, but there would be a lot of space for dialogue. She valued our opinions, which really wasn't the case in many households. So. Hers was seen as a very different parenting style at the time. Um, But I'm so thankful for it because, you know, my sisters and I have grown up to be quite stand-up women. And, you know, as we grew older, we were able to communicate more freely with my mom, which is very important. Yeah, but so I think about all of that and I'm just like, whoa, when you bring another life into this world are you ready to be that person you know what i mean and can you ever be ready and so i'm just like nope (laughs) i am not mentally ready yeah so i was thinking about it because of all of those sms's and whatsapp chats i got asking we have waited for so long with our child (laughs) just like i don't know can't you just leave it at happy anniversary and it ends surely anyway um but even still on the whole sacrifices thing so on 100 african stories i am featuring a friend somebody i met in new york last year in september i was gonna say yesterday <laughs> i just took a stroll to new york 
<laughs> no, last year, September, I had gone for the goalkeepers conference. And one of the people that I met there is a Kenyan who I was following on Twitter, but I'd never met her before. Her name is Shefa. And I just loved how articulate she was on women's issues and gender issues. So we completely kicked it off. And then last year, December, I went for Global Citizen in Johannesburg, South Africa. And we met again there. And actually, at the time, we were both about to resign from where we were working. So I remember we had breakfast one of the days and we're just talking about like wanting to progress and the fears that come with that so that (laughs) when i came back and after i resigned she was one of the first people like i chatted i was like i did it shefa i did it (laughs) anyway so then i had her on the perspective episode one panel i just realized i had never really known any of her life stories so i invited her to be on 100 african stories and she spoke about the line of sacrifices by strong women in her family that have allowed her to be who she is today. And I thought that was so powerful. Anyway, here's the story. A hundred African stories. There is no proper life that you live in university as a musician. If I constantly just walked around feeling sorry for myself, I'm never going to get anything done. Uh, there was a bit of frustration in between all of that. I've been breaking my back for this company. Therapy is not for the weak or for the crazy. Stories from Africa. Hi, my name is Shafo Kore and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. I remember when I was in high school, it was my second year in high school, I think, or not my third year. <laughs> Funny. Um, so in my high school, like in Kenyan high schools, you get to eat meat once a week, <laughs> which is which is one of the things that you never really understand, right? So then the dynamic is the school buys a whole cow and then they slaughter the cow and then you eat that cow for three months because they're in school for three months. That's how long a term is. Mm-hmm. So then the meat is supposed to be in the freezer for all these months. So then at some point towards the end of like the second month in high school or like mid month in the term, the meat goes bad. So um, because I was a prefect, I go to the kitchen because I had access to the kitchen. Yeah. And then one of the cooks tells me, hey, Schaefer, you know, the meat is, is becoming problematic. And I'm like, what do you mean? We cannot miss meat. Like, it's the only thing we get to have as Christmas it's, yeah. when we have it on Sunday. So then he tells me, oh, I think some of it is spoiled, but we've tried to tell the teachers and we don't know what's happening. So then he shows me literally what he means by the meat is spoiled. So he's been, because everything in high school is boiled. There's nobody who has like spices and stuff. (laughs) So I go looking in the pot and then at the bottom of the pot where you you are hoping to have like the thickest, creamiest gravy is all maggots. And And they are thick and they are white and they are fat. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with this, right? So because I saw it, he told me, oh, also, you can't talk about this because I was a rebellious student. I always asked the question, why? Like, if teachers came and said, oh, because our high school was very liberal at first, and I used liberal very loosely. Mm-hmm. So we'd have long hair, nobody would ask you reasons, and I had really long hair. Mm-hmm. So then some teachers would just come and be like, oh, we have decided that you need to cut your hair. And I'm like, but why? Is it affecting anything? I had long hair. It's not affecting me in any way. Mm-hmm. Then they would go back and come back again and be like, we have decided that nobody should wear shoes with laces. I'm like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> so even even when the cook was telling me this, I knew I had to do something, but I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I started boycotting the food. 
I didn't tell any student. I just told my deskmate who was like my ride or die. Yeah. She's still my friend up to date. She has like the most amazing boys ever. So I told her, oh my God, you know what? And we'd call her Desky. She calls me Desky even today. <laughs> it's a, it's shameless. <laughs> so she came and then she's like, ah, why are you not eating? You're not in the dining hall. This is meat. It's Christmas day. Come yeah. on. And I'm like, the food is rotten. <laughs> and I said, what? You're waiting for me to serve it and to spice it with Royco. And because you used to spice it with Royco and it's Royco that's not being cooked. Like you, you already know that we are dying of Royco. And you waited. So I was like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> then she said, okay, so we are not eating meat anymore. Like, yeah, we're not eating meat. No sooner had I known that this rumor had gone around that, oh my God, the meat is rotten. The meat is rotten. Shefa has said the meat is rotten. People are not eating. So the next Sunday, almost half of the people who were sitting on my table are not there. And these were like third formers and fourth formers. So we were not there. And everybody started being suspicious. So then even the people who'd served this meat were like, wait so if the people actually love food are not eating why are we eating yeah so the following sunday almost like quarter of the dining hall was empty the next sunday half of it was empty then it became problematic because in the evenings when people are supposed to be eating what we are doing is we're in the cafeteria we are trying to find bread we are trying to find like groundnuts because what are you going to eat it's high school it's it's like a mini prison right (laughs) there's nothing else it's like your debut to when you go to prison finally this is how to survive (laughs) we are all cramped up in the cafeteria then it's all it's it's an entire mess Then um, I remember our matron and she's like heavily, heavily Catholic. Bless her heart. She comes in with this deep voice and says, girls, what are you doing here? Why are you not in the dining area? There's food there. Why are you not eating? And then everybody points at the culprit, who is me. (laughs) And then I don't know where to go because this was not the intention. I was just trying to save myself and my desk mate. (laughs) Everybody else survived. (laughs) And then they say, oh, Schaefer said the meat is rotten. Then all hell breaks loose. Then our principal is called in. Are you trying to organize a strike? Are you trying to burn this school? I had not even thought that it's humanly possible to actually burn a school. Yeah. I didn't even know where I would start. Then in my head, I didn't even think I was trying to organize a strike. Mm-hmm. Then I stepped back at the moment when I was being asked a question. It just hit me that this was actually a ghost law. Mm, I didn't yeah. know. Like, I didn't even know this is what ghost laws look like. Is this what strike look like? It's when people don't show up to do the things they expected. I had never thought about it and that it was actually successful. <laughs> so then, of course, I'm called into the principal's office. I am indisciplined. I am a prefect. I should know better. Mm. I should have come and reported if the meat is not right. But then I'm like, this is what has been happening for years. People know. I just knew today as a culprit, what was I supposed to do? After all, nobody hears me in this school anyway because I'm seen as the bad girl. First, I was punished because I had not spoken. Punishment is first you go dig a trench, which I did. Imagine (laughs) me digging a trench. Then, of course, there was all this nice fast formers who were just like, can we help you, Shafer? And I'm like, yes, please do the labor. Me, I will sit here and cheer you. (laughs) So, yeah, so I was punished for actually doing the right thing. So then because I was punished, everybody else was like, but why is she being punished if the meat is actually rotten, mm-hmm. right? Like we've been fed or we are, we are used to being fed bad food. So what is the problem? Like it doesn't make sense. So a lot of people started coming to where I was supposed to dig the trench. So it was me and my deskmate who was my deskmate, by the way, whether she did something or not, as long as I was there, she is there. Yeah, yeah. So she was told, do you want to join? Her? And she's like, actually, I do. It's fine. <laughs> 
we get to hang out in the public while everybody else is struggling with chemistry and I don't know all this titration. So she was fine. Yeah. So she came and then everybody would come. So people would come at break and be like, hi, Shefa, how is the trench coming? And they would dig like a bit. <laughs> they would share the gem bear. But you know what happened is, at some, I didn't even finish the trench. I think they were just trying to send a message that you can't organize students mm. like it's so un uncatholic it's yeah. it's so against the rules to be organized against something for yourselves first as just girls like yeah. what what are you trying to do which power is this you're trying to show us you have right but then at the end of it they realized oh i'm so sorry we actually have to get a new cow so we actually got a new cow and then we got to even eat the matumbo part of it right which was fantastic because for us it's it's high school man whatever you can get to eat that is fresh yeah. that won't kill you you thank god yeah. so yeah i think that is something i've never forgotten and i i remember that was one of the first moments i realized what it means to stand up mm. and to stand up and be seen as someone taking a stand because sometimes you stand up and it's just like yeah, I had a point to make and then now I'll just sit down. Yeah. But that moment, I needed to push through and see it all to the end. And it felt really great and scary at the same time. When did it happen again? Uh, university. It okay. became like the modus operandi. University of Nairobi, where you, you go and you sign into a course. And I was really excited to do international relations because I felt like it was the first time I get to think right mm. and not be told oh you can't think like that because yeah. the entire high school every time you ask about something it'll be like yeah that's fantastic we like that you're thinking but just stick to the syllabus <laughs> so we can finish chop chop and just keep going yeah. keep going like this is great yeah. we like that you're using your brain <laughs> but don't use it <laughs> so then uni when i got into um, university of nairobi and then international relations and diplomacy it sounded like a a fantastical thing like i'm going to internationally late and it's I'm, I, I didn't even know what it meant right and then eventually i would become a diplomat right <laughs> because there's international relations and diplomacy yeah. so um first semester um we are doing was it the first or second semester i can't even remember but i know we were supposed to do international law i completely hate law mm. even though i know my career and my work revolves around policy and understanding policy and what like i totally hated it i think maybe just because of my lecture <laughs> so then it comes and it's international law like i first of all i don't even understand kenyan law by then <laughs> why am i getting into the international law who cares yeah, right yeah. then he gives us a whole bibliography of books that we are supposed to find by ourselves first remember i don't like it so i'm not going to find these things yeah. And then read. And he's going to come every evening because I was an evening student. Um, so he's going to come every evening from like 5.30 to I think 8.30 and teach. And we have a whole timetable and we know he's going to come. Mm -hmm. This guy doesn't show up for lessons. Nobody knows how to reach him. And then he shows up. The day he shows up is when we're supposed to have our continuous assessment tests. He shows up with an exam. <laughs> and we are all shocked. But nobody is daring to say anything. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, we are diplomatic students. <laughs> we need to be proper. And I'm like, no. What the hell is proper? So then I want to say something. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I should say it first in private. Then make it public. Like, yeah. there should be an order in which yeah. how this progresses. So he brings an exam. Nobody understands nothing. We actually sit the exam. Remember, this person has not taught you anything. <laughs> so we are writing things. We are trying to remember things we crammed or things I had people saying because also I wasn't reading. Yeah. 
and then we put it down and we're like okay fine thank god it's done it's done like at least i didn't send out a paper with just my name on it because yeah. that's a possibility that's a reality you can actually send just your name and be like thank god i had a pen right <laughs> <laughs> at least i had a pen so then the the the, the results never come back he comes in a uh, second week, I think, or three weeks after that continuous assessment test. And he's upset that we have failed. And he has the audacity to say he does not know what type of students we are. Like, we should know better. We should be reading. And I'm like, excuse me? What are we supposed to read? I don't know nothing. Teach me first. At least in high school, we were being given things to cram. Yeah. Then you could go and just regagitate it out and be like, at least I remember. But this, there's nothing. Like... <laughs> Wow, what? So then, of course, it becomes a he said, she said, even though everybody's been here and experiencing the lack mm. of being taught. Mm. So um, he sounds like this person, because how he came off, it was, it was like, first, who am I to question him? He's the youngest lecturer. He has a PhD in things and things. So you little one who just walked in yesterday, sit in the corner mm. and just take in this thing. This is the process of learning international law. And I said, no, this is not the process of me learning. So then he says, I should get out of his class. And I said, actually, I'm not. I paid for the class. You have not been showing up. Then I could tell that there was tension because mm. everybody was like, oh, shit. <laughs> did she just? And I actually did. Then I said, this just reminded me of, of literally high school when I was the one everybody pointed at when mm. the meet was bad and nobody could say anything apart from me. Yeah. So then he said, oh, you go to the dean and talk to the dean. I said, cool. I go to the dean. I never knew who the dean was. Yeah. I, only here, there's a dean, there's a dean. That day I had to know who the dean was. I found the dean. I talked to them and I told them, I'm so sorry to bother you. You look like a very busy man. You're like an old professor type of person. Uh, but our lecturer, XYZ guy, has not been teaching. He brought us a test. We all failed. So now he's upset. And he wants me to get out of class because I told him, we can't fail at something we were never taught. Mm. So how am I? Like, I've not even failed. At least I'm present. Yeah. Right? And then he said, oh, okay, who is he? And I said his name. And so then he said, okay, fine, I will have a conversation with him. Go back to class. Is he there now? And I said, yes. So I go back to class. And I sit and I find him there trying to teach whatever it is that is left of the hour or like the 30 minutes. Then later on, I hear he was called and he was talked to and whatever. He didn't show up again for three weeks. But then when he shows up, he comes and says, I will be coming consistently for the next month to teach you as if it's a privilege. Like we should be honored he's here, yet we've paid fees. Um, some of you went and complained to the dean because when he dared me with the dean thing, he thought I wasn't going to go. Yeah. Like some of you have been complaining. I hope now you're learning. And then he points at me and says, you, girl at the back with difficult name. Are you learning now? Are you happy? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm happy to see that you're actually respecting the fact that we pay fees. So then it, it just became a consistent thing of realizing that there's, there will always be gaps in everything, like in the world. There's always a gap, especially for women. There's always a gap that women have to feel. And sometimes you just have to be bold enough to ask, why is there a bloody gap yeah. here? So yes, whenever I stand up for anything, and it's pretty much anything, even the things that people look at and think, that's such a small thing, I'm always afraid. And I have learned how to use fear as my motivation, other than um, an emotion that cripples me or an emotion that denies me uh, progress. Mm. Because that's what 
fear did for a big chunk of my life when I was in primary school and I was abused, you know, and when things were happening and they were not great. Even my first year in, in, in high school wasn't great. It was because I was afraid of speaking because I'm like, I'm the new person. I'm just trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to feed. I'm just trying to find friends, mm-hmm. you know. I don't want to be the person who's already seeing that somebody's not nice. Yeah. I don't know them. So yeah, there's, there's there's a consistent fear that comes with with standing up and being like allowing yourself to be seen because that is what standing up means that you're allowing people to see you in your entirety and in your completeness and then at the same time you're using a voice by saying I refuse to not be heard. I think it's something that people also misconstrue to think that it's something you will end up at, like it's a destination. Like you'll get to a place where there's no more fear again. Yeah. We are liberated, we are free. Never lies, yeah. right? Because it's, it's a journey. Every time I don't speak up, I feel, I feel sick literally in my body. And I regret it and I hate regret. Because if I regret something, it means I should have done something about it and I did not. Mm-hmm. That's why even the things that I do and turn out to not work out great, I'm like, okay, that's a lesson. Mm-hmm. I have now learned how not to do it, right? I have now learned how not to say something. I have now learned how to not be a bad friend or whatever. But then if I don't speak up, if I'm in a room and I don't speak up about something that's unsettling in me, I will, like, it will, it will take me a whole week to just forgive myself. Mm. Then of course there's a very very deep place that that comes from which is my mother and and my mother being this woman who raised a radical feminist. <laughs> and she said I remember my mom telling me very clearly and this was in primary school before I even knew what she was saying like even grasp how big that was and she said I have not done my part for anything in this world to prepare it for you, right? Mm. And for you, she said, for a young girl who's very ambitious, who's extremely smart, who's so kind and at the same time so terrifying, mm-hmm. right? I have not prepared the world for you. So the only thing I have, which I have prepared, is a voice. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing I'm going to give you. So I literally walked into the world with nothing but a voice. Mm-hmm. So then you can imagine being in a space where I don't use it knowing that this is the only thing that has got you here, right? Like, this is, the, this is the only way you've come here. You only came here because you spoke. Or you only came here because you refused to be silent. So that, that, is, very, that is very deep for me. And, and that it's, it's a collective voice as well because it comes from very far. And so my grandmother, first of all, was this woman who defied odds. Mm-hmm. She, stopped, she stopped having kids after she had her five the last bonds were twins, so she was like, a bonus one came, but I ideally wanted five. <laughs> um, she was on birth control, uh, things that were not happening. Like, women who were on birth control when my grandmother was still alive were women who were whores, period, point blank. Why don't you want to have kids? That's the, that's the only reason you're created, right? Yeah. So you don't want to have kids? And she would wear pants, and she would drive a car, and she would dance in public, like in actual literal public, she would dance with my grandfather in public and be like, this is my boyfriend. Yeah. I like this man. I will <laughs> dance with him. You can imagine in a very conservative, traditional, very heavily cultured society, she was such an outcast, mm-hmm. right? And she made sure my mom and her sisters all were going to school, all had jobs. Yeah. Like, you're not going to not have a job. You have a job, and at the end of the day, you're telling us, how much did you sell mm-hmm. in your little thing? What is your sister doing? Are you helping? So just seeing that become the thing that makes my reality right and then of course at some point you get to to even witness how these women get to lose their voices you know 
And then now you find yourself as the only granddaughter who's female, because I don't have sisters. Yeah. And the only thing you have is a voice that has been shared from generations, right? Yeah. And I remember my last, uh, my last, my mom's last born, and she would be like my sister, because we are all the same height, and we all like the same things. And she lived a very overtly alive, creative, vibrant life, mm-hmm. right? She's the first woman I ever saw who would say, this relationship is not working. Like, I would see women just sitting. We knew, but nobody would say it. Yeah. And she'd be like, I love this man, but this is over. Yeah. And like, how, how do you leave? Where are you going? And she would say, to wherever I'm going. Yeah. And she was the first person I saw who had a serious bob cut. Mm-hmm. We all had long hair. But today you cut your hair, even in our very progressive home. You would respond to my grandfather, where is your hair? Yeah. Tell us, you know. <laughs> And she would cut her hair and she had a belly ring. She had a nose ring. She had tattoos. I was like, this is where I'm going. (laughs) This woman is where I'm going. So she was always told, "Um, you're trying to really be sure of-ish. Like you're trying to seek men's attention with all of these things, with your piercings. You already have your ears. Why are you piercing your, your, your eyebrow line? Like what is this? Why do you need to pierce your nose and all of that? But then I started realizing it was a way of her expressing who she was. So then knowing that I come from a generation of women who had to shift just for one woman to be here today as myself Mm -hmm. and speak freedom and speak liberation and speak kindness and speak no boundaries and just endless limitlessness, you know, it's it's magical, I think. As an African woman now who is trying to find their voice, I need to be very honest and say where you want to go, XYZ finding that voice is a path right Mm -hmm. and it does not exist each of us have to create it and that's the part of this conversation that sucks where i'm not going to give actual dosage of so today speak to letters times three eventually at the end of the week voice found right but rather it's a journey because finding a voice it's a journey of finding who you are first and it's it's not something you do in a year or in two years it's something people take forever to do right because for each of us finding our voices means different things right and it could mean i just want to finally start loving myself Mm -hmm. in a way that i understand and it could mean i just want to pursue that business that i've always felt scared of pursuing Mm -hmm. if it burns to the ground let it burn but i want to pursue it it means walking out of a toxic cycle and just being like for the first time I want to be in a space where I feel safe Mm -hmm. so that those are different ways of finding voices because all that all that happens when you find your voice is you start being differently you start people start experiencing you differently you start existing differently Mm -hmm. and that path doesn't exist and that's the scariest thing is that first the path is not there and then you don't know who is going to walk you through that path which is not there step two is accepting that now we have to get out of comfort zones, right? And then we have to go to the places we are scared of and we have to be seen. And not just be seen by people who want to harm us, but be seen by people who also want to embrace us. Mm -hmm. My therapist, because I love her so much, um, said something to me and she said, there are only two options. You either die or you live. And to live, you either want to thrive or survive. And for you to thrive a part of you must die mm-hmm. every time you, you're thriving. So there's a part of you that you have to give up every single time you're speaking, you're pursuing something, you're committed to something, you're putting time into something. Of course, you're losing something, right? Yeah. 
So then just be aware, like be wary that we all want to end up in a place where it's magical, but then we don't want to give up all the baggage that we come with. Mm -hmm. But then you can't fit in through the door. And she was like, even if you walk into a beautiful home that you bought now as Schaefer, and she said, you would not go through that door because you come with so much luggage because you'll be struggling and they'll hold you back. So that's how, like the analogy, the simplest analogy, if you look at it like that, then you realize, oh yeah, I have to position some things a certain way to get into that door. There's some things I should have dropped a long time ago on the road. (laughs) And then just allowing yourself to live honestly and abundantly in any way that you can. I think authenticity is the end game for all of us. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. I feel like Shefa just took us to church. Self-love church, my God. I really enjoyed um, her story. And if you want to share your thoughts on anything that you've learned or you've heard in this episode, you can reach me on our Insta page. That's Legally Clueless Podcast. Also, this podcast has a WhatsApp number that you can send an audio note or voice note, whatever you call it, <laughs> at any time from wherever in the world you are. Um, The number is plus 254-768-628-790. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.